You're listening to Sermon Audio from Grace Community Church of Gresham, Oregon. For more information about service times and ways to follow us online, please go to gracecc.net. That's gracecc.net. And thanks for joining us. So God, thank you for a church that loves you and wants to serve you by serving the community. And we pray in advance for Church in the Park this coming Wednesday that again, you'll give us opportunity to speak hope and encouragement and just to give relationship and presence to the people around us. So we ask for your blessing for that. Lord, I thank you for the generosity of this church family. I thank you for the resources that we're able to collectively pool together in order to introduce people to the hope that we have every day in knowing you as the one true God. And so we ask and invite you by the power of your spirit now to speak into our hearts as we open your word. Help us to know you better, to be more like you, to trust and obey you, and to love you the way you have first loved us. And we ask this in your son's name. Amen. Amen. So we're going to dive into uh, our next passage here in the Gospel of John. And as I was thinking about this passage, um, I was thinking about uh, something that happened many years ago. So fast forward to this last weekend, I guess. Um, we had our kids over for a, for a fire pit. It was really fun, our first one of the summer. And we're just sitting around the fire just talking and telling some stories. And I told this story of something that happened many years ago when uh, after we had had our first daughter, Kiana, she was about a year, year and a half old, and Jamie was pregnant with our son, Kylan. But we hadn't chosen his name yet. And uh, I remember being at a, a community group at our last church that we hosted in our home, so this small group of folks. We met every week together and studied the Bible, prayed, talked. And all that being said, at the end of the group this one night, as the group is breaking up and people are beginning to go their separate ways, the topic came up of names. What are you going to name your, your baby? What are you going to name your son when he's born? And so we're, we're having this conversation and getting all these ideas and Remember, Kiana's like a year and a half. She's just barely learning how to talk. And um, there was this moment of silence. And I remember her tugging on my leg and looking up at me and saying, Daddy, why don't we call him Baby Fetus? <laughs> and everybody laughed, of course, just like you did. And, you know, but unfortunately, it never stuck. You know, we ended up calling him Kylan instead of Baby Fetus. But I don't know, son. We, we could bring that back, I guess. But... But you know, names are funny that way. There's associations often that come with names. And if I were to throw out the name Judas, what do you associate with that? Especially for those of you who know your Bibles. In fact, does anyone know anyone named Judas? I've never met anyone named Judas. And probably because of the association that goes with that name, because that, that name is associated with the disciple who betrayed Jesus. And that's the very passage we're in here this morning. We're in this, this passage that really describes in much greater detail this whole process of Judas betraying Jesus. And you know, for those of you who are familiar with this passage, and I know many of you are, this is one of those passages that feels like the slow motion movie that you really wish you weren't watching, but you see this playing out right in front of you, or it's this, it's this car wreck that you can see that's just about to happen, and you want to look away, and you can't. That's what this story feels like to me. It's, it's dark. It really is. But in the darkness of this story, though, 
is hope. And I'm anxious to unpack this story together because we very clearly see the darkness of betrayal, but we also see some of the details of God's plan and we see the depth of God's love. And we're going to look at all that together. So to do so, we're going to jump back really to where we left off last week. Gabe took us through the passage that precedes this, where it is the last night of Jesus's life here on earth before his, his uh, crucifixion and his death and then his resurrection. And he's washing the feet of the disciples, giving them a snapshot of what it means to love and serve others. And so this is where we pick up the passage. When he, Jesus, had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I've done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. I'm not referring to all of you. I know those I have chosen. But this is to fulfill the passage of Scripture. He who shared my bread has turned against me. I am telling you now before it happens, so that when it does happen, you will believe that I am who I am. Very truly I tell you, whoever accepts anyone I send accepts me. And whoever accepts me accepts the one who sent me. And after he had said this, Jesus was troubled in spirit and testified, very truly I tell you, one of you is going to betray me. His disciples stared at one another at a loss to know which of them he meant. One of them, the disciple whom Jesus loved, and that's the apostle John, the one who wrote this letter, was reclining next to him. And Simon Peter motioned to this disciple and said, ask him which one he means. Leaning back against Jesus, he asked him, Lord, who is it? And Jesus answered, it is the one to whom I will give this piece of bread when I have dipped it in the dish. And then dipping the piece of bread, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. And as soon as Judas took the bread, Satan entered into him. So Jesus told him, what you're about to do, do quickly. But no one at the meal understood why Jesus said this to him. Since Judas had charge of the money, some thought Jesus was telling him to buy what was needed for the festival or to give something to the poor. And as soon as Judas had taken the bread, he went out. And it was night. And when he was gone, Jesus said, Now the Son of Man is glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will glorify the Son in himself and will glorify him at once. My children, I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me, and just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now, where I'm going, you cannot come. A new command I give you, love one another. As I've loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. Simon Peter asked him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus replied, where I am going, you cannot follow now, but you will follow later. Peter asked, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. And then Jesus answered, will you really lay down your life for me? Very truly I tell you, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. 
So aren't you glad you came to church this morning to hear that? Wow, what an uplifting, encouraging passage. But you know, it's not just a story. This, like all these stories, is, is really our story. So let's begin to enter this story and unpack some of the many layers that are here. It says in the opening verse of this passage in particular we're focusing on, Jesus said, he who shared my bread has turned against me. And this um, is, illustrates really the value of really reading from multiple good translations of the Bible. Because another way this is translated, and the way it's translated in my old NIV 84, is he who shared my bread has lifted his heel up against me. And there's some very important significance to all that. For starters, food really becomes fuel for community, right? I mean, church in the park is a great example of that. All we're doing is throwing some hot dogs on a grill, and there's instant people, you know, and people want to come and be together and eat. And that's, that's very common. We get that. You know, we're going to be doing church on the lawn here as, as a church family on July 23rd next month, and we're going to have one service, and we're going to be out on the lawn just like we were last year, and we're encouraging you to bring up picnic lunch, but we're also going to have some food to supplement that because food gathers people together. It, it, it's, a, it's a mechanism, a means of community, and in many ways, unity. I mean, you think about this, as you're reading the Old Testament, when covenants, when these formal agreements were entered into by two parties, oftentimes what follows it is a feast and food. Because it signifies there's friendship, there's trust, there's relationship. And especially in the ancient Near East, in the first century, if you ate with someone, if you consumed food together, you were saying by your very actions, I'm your friend. You can trust me. We're in relationship together. So to betray someone who you had eaten a meal with was absolutely unthinkable in that culture. It was vile. It was incredibly despicable. And yet there's more imagery here as well. It talks about lifting up your heel. Now, in the Middle East, in modern day, and in many other cultures around the world, if you show the bottom of your foot to someone, you're going to start a fight. Because it's just like spitting in their face. It's a cultural taboo that you just do not do. And this was certainly true in the ancient Near East. So for someone to actually do that is profoundly offensive. And again, it's a despicable thing to do. If you're looking to start a fight, that's how you do it. And this reference here is actually a reference to the Old Testament. This is Psalm 41. And the setting in that psalm is, here's King David. He's, he's basically in the final days of his life. He's dying of a sickness. His friends have abandoned him when he needed him the most. His, his enemies have encircled him. And that's where this is lifted from. And this is fulfillment of prophecy. And we'll come to that here in just a little bit. But all this comes together, and it's dark. It is so incredibly dark. And this is a dark story because betrayal is dark. I mean, we think about this. Here's Judas. He's been with Jesus for three years now. He's heard the teachings. He's seen the miracles. He's literally lived with Jesus and has soaked him in and been with him and seen him and heard him. And he betrays him. It's almost incomprehensible. but also relatable. You ever been betrayed by someone? 
betrayed by someone you trusted? Someone you love? A family member? A friend? The, the sad reality of this sinful, broken world that you and I live in is that it's probably going to happen to you at some point. And it's profoundly painful. And the point of this isn't to add to your pain, but really for us to understand and appreciate Jesus knows what it's like to be betrayed. He understands your pain and mine because he was betrayed. In fact, he knew it was coming. It said he was troubled in spirit. It's one thing to be betrayed. It's another to see it coming, to know it's going to happen. And then like this car wreck you want to look away from, you see it take place. And that's what's going on with Jesus. He wasn't, he wasn't surprised by this. And when it says he was troubled in spirit, this word is only used three times in this gospel. We've already seen the other two. One was when his friend Lazarus died and Jesus came and saw everyone mourning and understandably grieving and upset about the death of Lazarus and it said he was troubled in spirit. It's deep, deep anguish, deep heartache. And then in the last chapter, Jesus, in talking about his own coming death, which he knew was coming, was, was troubled. And here he's troubled again. And of, and of course he is. Because he knows, he knows this is going to, to happen. And then it says that it was night when Judas left to go out to do this. And again, that's a very, that's a very pregnant sentence. It's not just physically dark. It's spiritually dark. It's, it's emotionally dark. And it gets worse because Judas isn't the only one. What does Jesus predict? Peter, the leader of the disciples, is going to disown and deny Jesus publicly, not once, not twice, but three times. And my friends make no bones about it. Disowning someone and denying someone is also a form of betrayal. And yet in the midst of this brokenness and this awfulness and this heartache, God is weaving his plan together. Jesus is not a victim of these circumstances. We begin to see as we read this though that God is weaving the details of this together to accomplish what he wants to accomplish. For starters, Jesus saw this coming a long ways away. Way earlier in this gospel, he said this, have I not chosen you, the 12, as he's talking to the disciples, yet one of you is a devil. What did we just read in this passage? Jesus says, he who shared my bread has turned against me. He knows this is coming. I'm telling you now before it happens because he knows it's coming. It is the one to whom I will give this piece of bread and he hands it deliberately to Judas. And then when Judas gets up to leave, Jesus knows exactly where he's going and what he's gonna do. And he says, go do what you're gonna do. Just do it, do it quickly. Jesus was not a victim here. He, he knows what's happening because God is weaving these details together. But we also see so beautifully captured the depth of Jesus' love. He knows that Peter is gonna deny him three times. And yet look how Jesus responds here to Judas in particular. Knowing that Judas is going to betray him, many scholars believe this, and I think it's right on the money. I believe 
he isn't necessarily just singling Judas out. I think he's giving him a way out. Because at a formal feast like this, at, at a dinner, the guest of honor, rather, the, the, the one who's, who's um, overseeing the, the, the feast, the host, would dip bread in, you know, the, the, the juice or whatever that was on the, on the table, and you would hand it to someone. It was an act of honor for the, for the host to do this for you. And presumably, Jesus had done this throughout the feast, and so that's why, in part, many scholars believe, and it makes sense to me, is when Jesus said this, you would think the disciples would clearly know that Judas was going to be the one to betray him, because how did Jesus answer John's question? It's the one who I hand this to. Well, Jesus has been doing that presumably the entire meal, which is what the host did. But many believe, and I think it's right, Jesus is offering Judas right up to the last minute a way out. He's offering him one last opportunity to not do what he's planning to do. And it's really a defining moment. Will Judas take the way out? Or will he bypass it and continue with what he's headed out to do? And I look at this, and I see this reality play out for you and me. When it comes to temptation, when we're tempted to disobey Jesus, to not trust Jesus, to disown Jesus, to deny Jesus, yes, even to betray Jesus, we, we see this incredible reality in 1 Corinthians 10, another letter in the New Testament. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide, provide a way out so that you can endure it. You know, so many times we think of ourselves as victims. And our culture constantly teaches us this victim mentality especially when it comes to brokenness and sinfulness and selfishness. Well, you know, that's just the way I am. And, and so we justify it or we resign ourselves to it. And yes, it's true. We don't know what was going through Judas's mind. We don't know how he was justifying what he was about to do in betraying Jesus. But I have a pretty good idea of the kinds of things that begin to play through my mind. Has this ever happened to you? When you know you're about to do something, say something, that God doesn't want you to. Well, it's not that big a deal. One time won't hurt. Ah, who's going to know? And you and I can just fill in the blank. Who owes you? What justifies what you're about to do? Well, God owes me. Because, you know, God wants me to be happy. And I've heard that a lot. Or, God will forgive me. It doesn't matter what I do. God's gonna, God's gonna forgive me. You ever had those kind of things go through your mind? I, I have. And the common denominator between all those responses to sin and selfishness and those broken things that we know we shouldn't do but then we choose to do is that not one of those statements is the voice of the Holy Spirit. My friends, that is not the voice of God. And we live in a culture that tells us, oh, just follow your heart. The heart wants what the heart wants, so give the heart what it wants. But that's exactly opposite of what God's Word says. Proverbs chapter 4 says, we don't indulge our hearts, we guide and guard our hearts. We, we follow the Holy Spirit as he leads us. And since we keep talking about this thing called sin, you know, a word we talk about a lot in church, we don't often hear it out in our, our culture, we've kind of lost the language for it. But 
it is described in a lot of ways. Biblically, it means to miss the mark. It means transgression. It means rebellion, not loving God and others, giving them the honor they deserve. But always at the heart of sin is this reality that sin in and of itself is betrayal. It is relational betrayal. It's not about breaking rules. It's about breaking the heart of God. Consider what it says here in James, also in the New Testament. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of, of God. So, so how do we respond to all this? Well, we need to take action. And Jesus was describing the action we need to take last week in particular. We need to take a bath. Some of you have heard this story, but when I was a kid, um, in particular when I was growing up in, in Bend, when I was in that, that, that city for three years before our family moved once again, um, I had a friend who lived out kind of on a, on a ranch outside Bend, and I was a city kid, never really been out to a ranch, and my friend's name was Eddie Butts. Yeah, that really was his name. Sorry, Eddie. But he was a great friend, had me out to spend the night at his house. So I go out to his house, and um, he, they have this, like I said, this ranch, and they have horses and pigs and chickens and all, you know, all this stuff, all these animals. And he says, come on, I gotta go show you something. So we go, and we go out to the pig pen. And it was a pretty big pig pen with some major big pigs. I don't know how big these sows were, several hundred pounds. I mean, they're big. And he said, you gotta watch this. He climbs up on the fence, and one of them comes by, and he jumps on it, and he rides it all the way around, and then, it, you know, it, it dumps him off. And I said, oh, I've gotta do that. And so I jump up there, and I do the same thing. So we're playing in the pig pen, literally, for about two hours, right? Just having a great time. It was so much fun, and it begins to get dark, and we know we need to come in. And so we begin to make our way back to the house, and his mom sees us coming, and she's waiting there at the door. And she opens the, the sliding glass door and steps out and says, you are not coming in this house. And we said, why? What's the problem? Well, pigs make baby pigs and piggy poop. And in a pig pen, there's a lot of piggy poop. And we had been playing in that pig pen so long, we were covered in it, and we couldn't see it, and we couldn't smell it. But she could. And I thought, what a metaphor for our brokenness, for our sinfulness, before we know Jesus Christ. Most of us stylize ourselves as pretty good people. I mean, I'm, I'm a good person. And yet we stink. Because sin is more than just what we do or don't do. It's more than just omission and commission. It's about motive. It's about attitude. It's about values. It's about bent. And so we need a complete bath we need to be cleansed from the inside out. And there's so many things that promise to change us from the outside in. Empty religion in particular. Follow this creed, follow that code, follow these rules, do this, don't do that, and that will somehow make you acceptable to God. And that problem with that is that it's not a deep enough change. God wants to change us from the inside out. You don't just need to change your behavior. You need a savior. And so do I. 
And so we all start out in the same place. We need a bath. And that bath happens, that spiritual bath happens from the inside out when we choose to receive Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior and respond to his love and grace for us. And what's chilling about this passage to me is that it could be me. And it, it could be you. Is it possible to go to church, know about God, be moral, give money to a mission and vision, roll up your sleeves and serve and be involved, and yet not know Jesus? And it is. Have you had that defining moment experience where you have received Jesus Christ into your life as your Lord and Savior? Apart from right relationship with Jesus, you have an addiction. And so do I. It's a sin addiction. And trying harder, doing better, being a moral person is not going to change that. Jesus wants to give you and me a new heart. And he can and he will if, if we'll re receive that. But even for those of us who have a new heart, we need to take action by taking the time to daily wash our feet in the beautiful picture that Jesus painted of what it means to serve and love others when he washed the feet of the disciples, do you remember what he said when you who have been cleansed don't need to be cleaned again, but you need to wash your feet? There was deliberate imagery there that when someone came to a feast like Passover, they would wash before they went, but on the way to wherever that was, they would be walking in the street and their feet would get dirty. So they wouldn't need to take a bath again, but they would need to wash their feet. And that was this, this idea of there's a daily cleansing that needs to happen. In the daily living that you and I do, you know, we, we proverbially walk the streets of our culture and our feet get dirt and yuck and dung and all sorts of garbage on them. And, and we, need to, we need to cleanse that from us by confessing and calling it what it is and choosing to turn from that and asking Jesus for for his help, it just calls us to be, to be honest. And, and it's part of what it means to walk in right relationship with, with God daily. If we've taken a bath, if we've received Jesus, we have a new heart. But, but there are those things we're still going to struggle with. I have sin patterns in my life that I will battle until someday I go to be with Jesus and I'm completely um, in his presence and free of that. But until then, I'm going to do battle with that stuff. And so we, we need that daily cleansing because really what it comes down to is our identity and who we are. Look what Jesus says in this opening passage of this section we're looking at. I know those I have chosen. And yes, in the context there, he's talking about the disciples, but the same is true for me and you. Also in the New Testament, in Colossians chapter 3, verse 12, it says, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved. Did you catch what's in those opening words of that passage? I am chosen, I am made holy, I am set apart for special relationship with God and others, and I'm dearly loved. 
That's true for every one of us who have responded to God's grace by receiving Jesus into our lives. And here's the deal. Because he knows me and knows you, he knows there will be times when you betray him. There will be times you deny him. There will be times that we try to disown him. And yet, knowing all of that, he still loves us and invites us into right relationship with us and offer with him and offers to cleanse us. Man, that's, that's the power of God's grace. Now, unfortunately, the religion of our culture is, oh, I love Jesus or I like Jesus, but I don't trust and obey him. And we somehow get this thought in our minds that, it, it, it's okay, you know, God will, will, will forgive me if I do this, or, you know, instead of seeing the grace of God as the escape from sin, it becomes a license to sin. And, and that's not what this is about at all. Jesus removes our sin, pays for our sin through us receiving him into our lives, and, and, he, and he cleanses us daily when we call things what they are and ask his forgiveness but that, that process is fueled by, by his grace. And that grace also means empowerment. We can live the very life that he calls us to. So we take him at his word. We believe him for our identity instead of trying to create our own. But also, though, we take opportunities to love and serve others. That's what last week's passage was, was all about that we saw with, with Gabe. And when Jesus washed the disciples' feet, he wasn't saying, replicate what I've done. He was saying, follow this pattern. The point wasn't necessarily just washing people's feet. It was about loving and serving others. So let's go there. When is the last time you loved and served someone? Or to put it in the vernacular of what we've been talking about, when's the last time you washed someone else's feet? Man, that's easy to do when it's someone you like. When it's someone like you and me who deserves it. When it's someone who will say thank you and be appreciative. Or even better, when it's someone who will reciprocate and, and wash your feet. But what about people who don't deserve it? What about people who won't ever thank you? Maybe even acknowledge you. What about people who don't deserve it? Or to take it one step further with really where this passage examples to us. What about someone who's wronged you? Someone who's betrayed you? Would you wash their feet? Do you and I appreciate and realize that when Jesus washed Judas's feet, he knew he was going to betray him and he washed his feet anyway? Who does that? We do. He empowers us to do that, to love people like that. Why? Why would you do that? I, I don't know about you, but I make me a sale. I need a little persuasion. So why should I wash the feet? Why should I love and serve someone who may wrong me? 
or maybe who has wronged me and even deeply hurt me. And again, all this against the backdrop of wisdom needed. There's a place for boundaries. There's a place for um, weighing this out. But all that being said, why would I even consider doing this? Why should you? Because isn't this what Jesus did for you? Isn't this what Jesus has done for me? Knowing the times I would deny him, I would maybe not disown him, but certainly not obey him. He washed my feet. He loved, he loved me. And you see, we can do this because of the grace of God. In the letter to Titus, I love this. It says, for the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. This is talking about Jesus. And through him, it teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly patients and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. We can do this. We can love people. Easy people like you and me to love. And people who wrong us and hurt us and betray us. Many years ago, as our worship team comes and we prepare to respond in, in worship, many years ago, um, when I was at my last church, one of the first opportunities I'd ever had to preach, and um, I, I preached this message and in order to make the point, I illustrated it with a very personal story from my own life. Um, when I was in college, I had a brief run-in with pornography, and I shared that and talked about what it was like to process through that and to move beyond that and to, and to act, access the grace of God and the power of Jesus Christ in my life. And so I shared this very openly, and some weeks later, my executive pastor called me into his office and sat me down and said, you know, I've got, I've got some bad news and this is going to be hard to hear. But, um, you know, someone heard what you said and um, they have been uh, basically going through the community saying that you have a pornography problem, that you have a pornography addiction and um, that you need to be confronted and um, you have this unconfessed sin in your life and it needs to be dealt with. And friends, this is years before we had this thing called social media where that, you know, makes that sort of thing much more likely to happen. And I was just heartbroken because this was someone who had been part of our church family, was part of our church family, who I knew, who I loved, but who unfortunately had this propensity to gossip. And that's literally what they, they were doing and misconstruing what I said. And it was profoundly painful. And on my behalf, the executive pastor went back to him and sat him down and confronted him and said, basically, knock it off. But, you know, the damage was done and this was out there. And, and then I remember this one Sunday, not unlike this Sunday where we had gathered for worship and after the message we were celebrating communion and we were serving people communion and I came to this row and guess who was sitting on the end of the row as I made eye contact with him? It was this guy. And so I acted like I tripped and spilled the whole communion tray on him. Was, no, I, no, no. But I thought about it. But it was a defining moment for me. How was I going to respond to this guy who had so deeply hurt me and quite honestly felt like he had betrayed me in our friendship? 
And I remember in that moment, the Spirit of God empowering me to love him the way Jesus first loved me. And so I served him communion, and I looked him in the eye, and I said, this is the blood of Jesus for you, and this is the body of Jesus for you, and I meant it. Because you see, the grace of God empowers us to live the life that Jesus calls us to. And it's the grace of God that moves us from being betrayers to being believers. So my friends, as we prepare to worship, and I love this song. When I heard we were gonna sing this song, Sarah, I've been singing this the whole week because I love the truth of what we're about to proclaim. But as we prepare to do so, I just wanna give us a little time here to just search our hearts and then to proclaim what Jesus has done for us. So would you bow your heads with me and, and let's, let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we are reminded through the truth of your word this morning that you love us. I just think of the times that I have disobeyed you, even betrayed you, by the things I've said or done or not said or not done. And yet you love me despite all those things. And you forgive me and offer to cleanse me and empower me to live in a way that honors you and others. So God, thank you for that. And I pray for all of us that we would search our hearts this morning and where we have disobeyed you, not trusted you, would we call that what it is? Thank you that we don't have to hide from you. And we don't do this to shame ourselves, but to free ourselves by reminding us of your grace. So God, help us to call our sin what it is and then to choose to believe you for something better. Thank you for your love and the power of your grace and the fact that you're here with us. We worship you now, in Jesus' name, amen. That is who he is. In just a moment, we're going to be reminded of who we are. But I know going there and talking about such hard stuff stirs things up, and that's, that's understandable. We have our prayer teams off to the sides here. We would love to be able to pray with you. I, I know them personally, and I feel... 100% confident in entrusting you to them. They're safe people and they would love to pray with you about anything that we can pray with you about this morning. And if you haven't, if you haven't taken a bath, we would love to help you with that this morning. We would love to walk with you through receiving Jesus into your life and being cleansed in a way that no religion, no amount of morality, no amount of trying harder will ever accomplish in your life. He offers you life and don't wait any longer. Take that life for your own. And if you're new to our church family, once again, welcome. And to those of you watching, listening online, so glad that you're with us as well. But for those of you here in the room, right around the corner in our cafe, we have something called Next Steps. We would love to meet you, have some time with you. And I know that you're all going to be at the budget question and answer time. So I just want to remind you that's just down the hallway in our great room. The elders and our finance team will be there. We'd love to connect with you about that. But Let's get back to the good stuff here. Who are we? Well, at one time, we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. 
But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of the righteous things we've done, but because of His mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. That is who you are, if you know and love Jesus Christ. So as we go from here, live that identity out. Don't forget who you are and what he's done for you you can live for him and he wants to bless your life. So let him do it. And let me pray his blessing over you as we go now. Thank you for each person here, each person with us watching, listening online. Lord, we ask collectively that you would help us to remember who we are. We're not betrayers. We are believers because we've been washed and cleansed and given a fresh start and a new empowerment and hope through knowing you, Lord. So would we go live that out now? Would you give us the opportunity to tell someone this week about who you are? Would you give us the opportunity to wash someone's feet this week? And it doesn't matter if we think they deserve it or not. You've washed our feet when we didn't deserve it. So now would we go and love the way we have been loved? And we ask this in Jesus' name. And God's people said, amen. amen. So go and live for him. Thank you for joining us for Sermon Audio from Grace Community Church here in Gresham, Oregon. For more information about service times and ways to follow us online, please go to gracecc.net. That's gracecc.net.